Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello, COS supporters, and welcome back to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Lush. I'm going to be your host for this episode. And of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Rita Peters, who's also the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs. Rita, it's great to be back with you on this Tuesday. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. And I know we would both love it if those of you watching could drop us a little note there in the comment section and let us know where you're tuning in from. We love to know who is watching. And while you're at it, you can also send out a retweet, a share, a rumble, or wherever you're watching from. Send out the message about Convention of States and Article 5. It is the secret weapon that was gifted to you, to me, to all of us, to we the people, to reign in the federal government. So we need to get out the message and start brush fires of freedom in the minds of patriots all across the country. With that, we have an exclusive interview with our newest senior advisor, uh, Senator Rick Santorum. He recently made a pilgrimage to Iowa State Fair, uh, which he's actually very familiar with, but this time he wasn't campaigning as president. He was there for a much larger, more uh, important reason right now, because as you've seen, the country is just falling apart. So we're going to be picking his brain on how that went. We also got some major media hits over the Labor Day weekend that criticized Convention of States trying to stoke fear. We're going to have Senator Rick Santorum address those attacks that happened over the Labor Day weekend. Uh, before we get to those uh, hot topics, though, we also have our COS trivia giveaway with COS Vice President Mike Ruthenberg. So, Mike, take it away. Thank you, Andrew and Rita. What a privilege it is to be able to join you guys for our Tuesday Facebook Live for Convention of States. There's so many people here that join every single week. We appreciate you for being so dedicated, for listening, for hearing, and we try so hard, and especially producer G, who puts all the show prep together, gets us all ready to go. Of course, you never see him shining like the star that he is. Instead, you get to see the shiny stars in Andrew and Rita. And as uh, Ginny Rapini says, many of you know Ginny, I'm probably the thorn between the two roses, but I'm here and you guys have me and I'm excited to be here and I have a great trivia question for you today. But before I have to say how incredible it's going to be to listen to Senator Rick Santorum speak to you. If you're not terribly familiar with Senator Santorum, you'll be blown away at what an incredible, principled, straight as an arrow guy you would ever hope to follow in anything. And he is, of course, a senior advisor here with us at Convention States, and he has brought so much to us. And you're going to really enjoy today's program because of that. Another thing that I've found is there are a lot of people coming into Convention Estates, and it's been shifting to you. People like you are talking to people. My favorite tool is the pocket guide. We have a 10-pack of pocket guides. That's what I'm going to give away. That's our number one best-selling item in the store is the pocket guide because it tells the COS story. What a great way to share Convention of States with people. As a matter of fact, I shared Convention of States with a gentleman in my church. He's an influencer in our community. He has a whole lot of people that he knows, a lot of connections, politically connected, he ordered a thousand 
pocket guides, a thousand of them. He's going to get rid of them all. And we're going to bring more and more people in. So I'm going to give some away to prime the pump. Hopefully you'll be able to give some pocket guides away and share what COS is all about, how it works and why it works. So here's our trivia question for the day. It's hard to believe, but there were actually six presidential candidates in 2016 who officially have endorsed Convention of States, of course, to, per, to impose fiscal restraints, term limits, and limits on federal overreach. My question for you, can you name at least one? Oh, this is like easy. Can you name at least one presidential candidate who endorsed COS, a modern one? Not way back in the day. We have six of them right away. I'll be back at the end of the show to share all of them with you. And I hope that your fingers are working on that keyboard right now, lifting up all these people that are endorsers of Convention of States. Back to you guys. In the Constitution in Jeopardy, an unprecedented effort to rewrite our fundamental law and what we can do about it, Feingold explains the potential threat and how rewriting the Constitution could change the trajectory of our democracy. That there would be no limitation on what could be discussed and considered at, these, at a convention like that. So they could really undo our Constitution. And there's a growing movement to do it on the far right. And it's time to blow the whistle on it and have people realize it. Well, it is a pleasure to welcome onto the program Senator Rick Santorum. He was a two-term U.S. Senator for Pennsylvania and also served uh, in the House of Representatives. He was a candidate for President of the United States and won 11 states in 2012. He is also the father of seven children with his wife, Karen. He is the author of American Patriots, Blue Collar Conservatives, and It Takes a Family. Also, he is author of Bella's Gifts, which is a actually which is co-authored by him uh, by his wife. Senator Santorum, it's an honor to have you on this edition of COS Live. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to start off this interview by diving into some of the unexpected news coverage that we received over the Labor Day weekend. There was It was significant and kind of uh, unexpected. ABC News interviewed a former U.S. Senator by the name of Russ Feingold. He has a book that's coming out that stokes fear about an Article 5 Convention of States. Shortly after that interview, the New York Times, Yahoo News, and MSNBC picked up on this news story. Um, you were mentioned by name, and COS President Mark Meckler was mentioned by name. Um, can you just describe um, some of the, these, these, these tactics that are coming from the opposition and some of the uh, hit pieces that are coming out? We had a few weeks ago the Business Insider hit piece. We're just receiving a lot of hit pieces right now. Can you respond to some of these uh, hit pieces that are coming out. Yeah, I think this is really exciting. Uh, it, it tells you that uh, you have arrived when the mainstream media, the left-wing media begins to come after you. That means that you're a threat and you're a threat to their power grab, you're a threat to their dominance of, uh, of, of American uh, political culture as well as, uh, as, as the uh, uh, the power they have over you using the using the federal government at, at, at its core. And so this is all great news to us. Now, it's not great news that they're beating us up because they're trying to they're trying to do what they do very well, which is to uh, scorch the earth with negative and, and misleading and, and actual uh, not factual information about what Article five is and about what Convention of the States is. But it shows you that we we're doing the right thing for any conservative out there who has any fear that this is somehow 
a left-wing plot where the George Soros is behind this. I've heard that as I go to different places in America. They, they say, oh, this is really funded by George Soros. Well, uh, Russ Feingold wouldn't be writing a book. And I served with Russ Feingold. Russ was a senator from Wisconsin. He is the, he's one of the uh, co-authors of McCain-Feingold, which is the, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the campaign finance laws that are horrible campaign finance laws, which members of Congress have to live by. And, and so uh, he, is, he is a 100% liberal, I won't call him a Marxist, but if you know what I mean, he's a very, very liberal guy. And he, he represented Wisconsin, was beat by Ron Johnson. Uh, who's one of the, the great leaders of, of the Senate right now. Uh, but, but Russ is, I give Russ credit, he and Paul Wellstone, who was another senator from Minnesota, neighboring Minnesota, were sort of the anchor. They were there before Bernie Sanders was there. They were, they were sort of the Bernie, now Bernie's taken it even farther left, uh, but, but Russ and, and, and Wellstone were the, were, the, were the definition of the left wing of the Democratic Party. And so when you see Russ Feingold out there saying things like this, you know, that the hardcore left is lined up against us. So I don't want to hear from any more conservatives that somehow or another that COS and what we're trying to do here is some, some left-wing plot. Left-wing plots don't get left-wing people uh, out there criticizing it. Uh, we, we, have, we are over the target. We're doing the right thing. And that's why they're coming after us. So I'm encouraged by this. I'm excited by this. I think it's great that, that the left is paid, starting to pay attention to us. Now what we have to do is use this, uh, use this validation that we are a threat to what the left wants to do to America to motivate the rest of the country. And I'm talking about folks on the right and folks in the middle who are uh, very much afraid of the tyranny that we're seeing in Washington, D.C., very much afraid of the woke culture that is being forced down our throats. Uh, and this is, this is the way to stop it. This is the constitutional way. This is the way that our founders envisioned us to combat this, uh, this assault on democracy. I think it's really interesting, Senator Santorum, because this book by Senator Feingold is titled The Constitution in Jeopardy. And it's just so ironic because all of us right here on this um, program today would agree that the Constitution is in jeopardy. It's in jeopardy because of the decades of illegitimate changes, effective changes that have been made by federal overreach and wrong ahistorical interpretations of constitutional language that have led to this you know, wrong, illegitimate government expansion. And our goal at Convention of States, as you have just explained, is to use the Constitution, Article 5 in particular, to save and protect the Constitution. So are you, are you thinking like I am that Senator Feingold is really just concerned about defending the hundred years of illicit government expansion that we've seen? Is that what he's doing? Is that what he wants? It's exactly what he's doing. And, and remember, Russ Feingold, if you ask Russ Feingold, what does he think of the Constitution? He will tell you that it's a living, breathing document. It is what we say it is. It is what the Supreme Court and Joe Biden uh, says is. Why do they say that? Because it has worked very effectively to expand federal power and overreach. It, is, it has been the mantra that we don't need to do constitutional amendments. We simply will see where the world, where the American public is going and they and, and then 
have constitutional uh, cases before the Supreme Court that allow the Constitution to be malleable to the to the to to where the future of, of America is supposed to go. And of course, what does that mean? That means Marxism. That's that's where they wanted to go. They wanted to go to a tyrannical uh, socialist uh, uh, authoritarian state. That's what because they believe the elite should decide for the rest of us. And so. Russ Feingold coming out and saying that this is uh, this is a a threat to the Constitution. No, it's a threat to the corruption of the Constitution that the left has been permeating to, uh, uh, through this country for the last hundred years, as you said. So I'm again couldn't be more excited that Russ Feingold sees us as a threat because that means we are on their radar screen, which means that they know that this is a ser that that we have the opportunity to really change this dynamic. If people are saying, what can we do to get this country back again? Well, the left has figured out that we're it. Now the, the, now the important thing is for the right to figure out and for the rest of America who doesn't wanna become a, 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 a tyrannical socialist uh, authoritarian state for them to figure out that this is the method by which we save our country. And, and Senator, both you and Senator Feingold, you served in the US Senate. Quickly, can you, kind of take us behind the curtain for a few moments because from the outside DC looks terrible it looks really bad but you know some people say from the inside it's not as bad is that true and can you maybe share from your own experience being in the senate being in the senate what it's like being on the inside behind that curtain uh it is not as bad as uh it is is portrayed but it has gotten a lot worse and it it, it gets from the time I first was elected to congress 32 years ago uh till the time I left, which was 16 years later. So uh, I can tell you that the partisanship and the, uh, the changing of the Democratic Party, I, you know, I knew about, I knew Nancy Pelosi when she, when I was in the house again, 30 years ago. And, and she was there with Barbara Boxer and a whole bunch of other folks that you, that you were, you were very famous, Jerry Nadler, et cetera. And I knew them all and I knew they were, they were leftists, but they were uh, they they never went out and said the things that now they say. Not I don't I don't think they've necessarily changed their beliefs. I think they believe in this uh, socialist Marxist woke utopia that they keep describing, where you are your own god and you can do whatever you want, and that and as as long as uh, as long as you allow allow the the elites in our country to tell you what that is. Uh, they, they've always been that way, but they've never been as bold. <clears throat> And, and the reason is I think they feel like they're winning. They feel like they have changed the culture, uh, particularly among young people. And they think that the de their destiny is, is written and what they need to do now is put the pedal to the metal. So in that respect, if you look at the platforms of the Democratic and Republican parties over the last 30 years, the Republican party platform and what Republicans have been advocating really haven't changed much at all uh, in, the, in the last 30 years. Uh, to some degree, we've changed uh, in in areas that are more populous, like trade and immigration and things like that. But when it comes to the fundamental limited government and spending and, and cultural issues, the Republican Party hasn't changed one bit. The Democratic Party has changed dramatically. That's why millions and millions of people are leaving. What is that? What what happens when that's the case? When you see the party separate along uh, along ideological lines, is it becomes very difficult to get anything done. And, and, and everything becomes a zero-sum political game. There's, there's, you either 
get control enough that you can do exactly what you want without the other side helping or the other way around. That didn't used to be the case. There was, when I was in the Congress and early in the Senate years when Bill Clinton was president, we actually sat down and negotiated bills and we, we actually found compromise because there was some things we could give on either side that people were willing to say, okay, yeah, maybe we need to do a little bit more of what conservatives want to do. And they would do a little bit more of what the left wants to do. And, and, and we can, we can combine, do something better. Welfare reform is a good example of that. That is not possible today. Uh, and so there is a, there is a real division in Washington because there is a real division in the country. And I don't think 30 years ago, there was that division in this country. I think it's real now. I think everybody realizes it. One thing I give Donald Trump a lot of credit for is that he highlighted that division uh, and, and, and made it, it crystallized it in the eyes of the public. I think the, the mainstream media did a very good job of sort of uh, creating an opaque situation where people couldn't really see what was going on. But now I think he sort of pulled the, pulled the, uh, you know, pulled the veil back and you can see the media for what it is. You can see the culture for what it is. And I think that's been a, that's been a healthy thing for, for conservatives to recognize. And again, bringing back to the point of COS, it makes it even more important that we have structural changes to limit the power of Washington because what we're gonna have in Washington is a zero sum game back and forth and conflict. And if, if we're successful at COS, what we're gonna do is limit the power of those, all of them, left and right in Washington and allow the states to reflect the collective values of each state and for us to be able to live together, not by all of us being forced to do one thing or the other by the left and the right. But if you want to, if you want to live in a socialist utopia, you can go to California. If you want to live in a traditional value state, you can go to Utah or Alabama or Iowa or places like that. That's, that's what I think the, the answer ultimately is for America to survive. And COS is the key to doing that. Exactly. So you're talking, you just talked some about fiscal sanity and, you know, what it was like when you were in Congress, you were such a fighter for fiscal sanity before it was in fashion, I might add, you fought for a balanced budget and a line item veto, you very bravely proposed reforming entitlements and cutting spending, we can tell by listening to you today that that was and still is your passion, fiscal sanity in Washington, or at least one of your passions. And it sounds like you're saying you see convention of states as the way to achieve that goal today. Is that right? Yeah. If you look at the three things that the convention of states project is all about, you know, first term limits. When I came to the United States Senate, I, I authored a provision in the Senate Republican Conference, our caucus, to limit the terms of committee chairman to, to six years. It had never been done before. But uh, the reason was that if you're a, a senior member, all the committee chairmanships are handed out by basis of how long you've been there and uh, on both parties. And so if you can limit that to six years, that means that that senior member after six years is no longer chairman of the committee that he's been a member of for a long, long time and goes back to being just a regular old member. What happened and what uh, is that a lot of members after their six years decided not to run for re-election. So we got turnover because my concern with tournaments, and one of the reasons I'm a, uh, I've been a supporter of them is because if people stay there for a long time, 
seniority is how power is concentrated. You just, you've been on a committee a long time, you've been there a lot, and you just accumulate more chairmanships and other positions of authority. And so the fact that you limit that limits their power and limits their desire to stay. And so uh, I, I've been for term limits and actually I'm one of the few people in the, I think maybe the only person in the history of the federal government to actually enact term limits are still in place on the Republican. They're not on the Democratic side, but they're still in place. What we put in, in place in 1995 still holds true uh, for leadership, uh, other than the leader, uh, but uh, leadership and everything else. So that's number one. Number two, uh, in 1995, again, when I first came to the Senate, the House had passed a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution, and we were within one vote of passing it, and it would have gone to the states for ratification. We would have had a balanced budget amendment passed, and I was one of the lead debaters on it, and you know, fought and 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 until the day before it was voted, when a Republican, a Republican from Oregon, changed his vote from from yes to no, and we lost by one vote. Uh, I went to the floor and excoriated him, and he was a guy had been there for thirty four years or something like that, and uh, and boy, I got everybody just just took me to the wheelhouse. Oh, how can you young whippersnapper, 36 years old, take on this great scion? He's been a, a great member for 30, almost 40 years. Well, because he was doing the wrong thing. And, and he, he cost America a chance to keep our fiscal sanity intact. And uh, we, we still have an opportunity to do it. And again, convention of the states, that's, that to me is, what, what is, uh, what is the real, one of the real keys of doing that. Uh, and then finally, I was always about in Washington what we could do to curtail federal power. And, uh, and so whether it was through entitlement reform or every, any, anything else is to limit the authority of the federal government to have an impact on your life to me was consonant with what the constitution was all about. So that's why, uh, that's why I'm a big fan of convention states and, and believe that it's a, uh, it is the answer to our problems here in America. Now, Senator, you've been a leading candidate for president, and we actually view some of what we do at Convention of States as similar to a presidential campaign because we have specific strategies that vary state by state. We're organizing in every state. We're conducting polling in key states, building relationships with key players. The big difference, of course, is that a presidential campaign only lasts a couple years, but we have to sustain what we're doing over the course of multiple election cycles. Do you see the similarity and are there principles you've experienced in your run for president that carry over to what we're doing in this movement? It is remarkably similar. Uh, the, uh, the one part that, uh, that uh, maybe is, is not similar is is working specifically within the state capitals with state legislators, uh, because you don't really do much of that with the presidential campaign. But the part that's it's identical is organizing grassroots and getting grassroots activists to go out and uh, and and elect not you as a presidential candidate, but elect people who support convention of the states at the legislative level. Sort of harkens back to before the Seventeenth Amendment passed. Uh, everybody remembers or from history learned of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And, and you thought, well, Lincoln and Douglas ran against each other for the Senate in Illinois. Well, that's true. But no one voted for either Lincoln or Douglas. Uh, you said, wait a minute, they ran for the Senate. That's right. But the Senate wasn't elected by popular vote. They were elected. Lincoln-Douglas debates took place as they were campaigning for state legislators. 
and and trying to and, and to get state legislators elected who would then vote for them to become senators and and the Democrats took control of the Illinois legislature uh, in uh, I think it was eighteen was 1856 or whatever the year I think it was 1856 and uh, and therefore uh, Douglas won and Lincoln lost so in a sense we're reenacting a pre uh, a pre seventeenth amendment which now allows for the popular election of senators we're going to the state legislatures and getting them elected conservative majorities elected in the state legislatures so we can change the constitution of the United States uh, and and that that's really a a, a a fascinating look back on how this was really designed into history and and how I believe I've always believed that the 17th amendment was the biggest reason Washington exploded with power. So a change to the constitution, people say, oh, the constitution works well, founders got it right. They did, but we changed it. And one of the changes was the 17th amendment. And one of the ways to sort of call back the 17th amendment in some respects, not that we're gonna change popular election of senators is to get the legislature to do, to undo the damage they did by, uh, by changing, uh, by going along with the 17th Amendment and changing the way the federal government operates. So uh, yeah, uh, it is very much like a presidential campaign, but it's bigger than that. I mean, it's, it really is bigger because presidents come and go. This will have a lasting impact, uh, changing the, the you know, amending the constitution with things to limit the power of the federal government and to control federal spending and those things have have consequences way beyond one single president so there's really in, in the political realm i don't see anything more important uh i know people are excited about elections they should be and I, they should participate but this has bigger consequences than any presidential election you'll be involved in. and one of the things that you mentioned a moment ago uh senator Santorum, we talked about kind of connecting with the grassroots on a, on a state level going out to all the different states connecting with the grassroots building the grassroots you recently were at a, an iowa state fair where you've been there many times but you were there for a different reason this time tell us why did you choose to go there and what was it like at this state fair uh the iowa state fair is a uh, political uh, you know, iconic event. Uh, anybody who's ever run for president has gone to the state fair and got up on the stump on the soapbox and 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 given speeches. So uh, it is. It, I was the first caucus, the first uh, presidential vote uh, in any primary election season, and so the state fair is the summer before that, and so it's it's a very exciting thing to do. And so I thought it was fitting to go there and uh, and and be present. We did radio. We worked the crowds. We had booths. We did. Uh, we we had a, a good, a big presence there, to again remind people of Iowa that that they need to do what they do in presidential races, which is lead. Iowa hadn't uh, hasn't yet uh, passed the resolution uh, to uh, call for a convention of states. We've come close. We're close there, uh, but we need to again, mobilize the people, the grassroots of Iowa. And so no better way to do that uh, than to go to the state fair, have a presence there, be seen there, and let people know that uh, this is as important as any presidential race they'll be involved in. Now, you just, you just spoke now about Iowa not passing the, the COS resolution yet, and that we're building the grassroots presence there. We're building the grassroots army in Iowa. And along with uh, across the nation, we're building a grassroots army. But we have passed the COS resolution in 19 states. We passed four this year. 
Uh, and our resolution covers three topics, fiscal restraints, which you are very uh, passionate about, uh, term limits, also something that you're passionate about, and, but then also limiting the federal, uh, the federal jurisdiction of power and kind of putting it back in the constitutional box that the founding fathers envisioned. Um, so I want to ask you a question about, you know, which of these uh, planks, if you will, do you think should be prioritized when we do get to 34 states calling for this convention, we get to a convention, we start debating, which of these three planks do you think should be prioritized and which one do you like most? The one that I'm most excited about, because I think the one is the most necessary, uh, is the one that limits the jurisdiction of the federal government. You can limit spending by constitutional amendment, a balanced budget amendment. Like I said, we almost passed a balanced budget amendment, but every balanced budget amendment is gonna have a provision that allows for emergency spending, right? And now it'll take a higher percentage of the vote to get that spending usually, but there's always workarounds. And, uh, and, and so I, it's important to do, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see a light item veto, which I think would be helpful. I don't think it'll, be a world-shaking thing if the president has the ability to line in a veto, but it will be a, it's a good thing. Uh, tax limitation amendment, again, probably a good thing. Whether we can get them passed, I don't know, but, but all of them I think would be helpful. But the most important thing is to put real restraints on the federal government reaching to your life. And, uh, and whether it's Amendments, for example, saying that the federal government shall no longer be involved in primary and secondary education, which I think would be a, a, a brilliant thing and something that would be so needed to keep the, these, these huge uh, educational bureaucracies like the teachers and others that are on a national scale, moving education policy all from the federal level uh, and put it back into the local school district where parents have a say in things. Uh, to me, this is important because the left is corrupting the next generation of American youth. The left, I always say the, the left isn't having children. So they need the children of conservatives to become leftists to win. And the way they do that is through the popular culture, through educational institutions, both primary, secondary, and college. And, and they, they indoctrinate your kids. Uh, and so having the federal government out of that, for example, I think would be so important to the future of our country for parents to get back control of our education system. So uh, I think one of the big problems we've had in America is that we, uh, we don't know who we are because, because we don't teach American history, don't teach the truth about America. We teach critical race theory and the 1619 project and all these things that talk about how terrible America is. And then we wonder why people don't love America anymore because they're being taught that America is a bad place. So you can't survive as a country if the people living in the country think the country's rotten. And, uh, and so I, I use that as an example, but there's so many other examples where the federal government has reached way beyond their, ability, their, their uh, constitutional authority, uh, thanks to the court letting them do it. And I, heard, I know some people say, well, you, know, you could say that they can't get involved in primary and secondary education and well, the court can you know, get around that. You know what I find, if you look at the, the 17 amendments, the, the first 10 amendments passed at the time of the signing of the Constitution, which was the Declaration, the, the, uh, the Bill of Rights. But the next 17 were passed over a period of 250 years now. Uh, and if you look at each one of those amendments, all of them were very hard to pass, uh, but they all, they all did pass. And when they did, 
America followed them. The Congress followed them. They, they paid attention to them. Why? Because they were passed. They know how hard it is to pass that and how much, how popular they must be in order to be, to, to be ratified and be accepted into the Constitution that no Congress is going gonna, is gonna to fight that. So maybe 100 years later, they might, but not anytime soon. So that's why amending the Constitution is so important, because what we've seen is that when, if you can get something that difficult done, then it actually does what you what it's laid out to do. It's, it actually does, uh, in our case, would limit the power of the federal government. That's why I think this is so important. Absolutely. Well, Senator, you are from the state where our founding documents were written and signed, Pennsylvania being your home state. And Pennsylvania still has a chance to pass the resolution yet this year. How much would it mean for you if Pennsylvania were to become the next state to pass the Convention of States application? Well, I've been working extra hard on that because it is, it is personal to me. I, I would very much like to see Pennsylvania be that uh, what's called the squiggly line state, which is uh, you know changing that from 19 to 20. It's changing the one to a two. Uh, you get into those squiggly lines, then you you feel like you're you're getting close. Uh, and and we would be. I think 20 would be a, a great psychological barrier for us to to get across. And um, you know we're already already more than halfway there. But uh, getting getting one or two states more this year would be a tremendous plus. Uh, and then uh, you know. I really believe next year, uh, early part of next year is really where the rubber's gonna hit the road for us. I think we have tremendous opportunities in so many states. And what I'm telling my colleagues in Pennsylvania, who many of whom, believe it or not, are still around that I serve with, is we showed leadership uh, in, uh, in 1787. We were, we were the first, uh, one of the first states to ratify the constitution. Uh, Delaware beat us to it because uh, they were able to get it, you know, Delaware is a little state. They were able to get their delegates together a lot quicker than Pennsylvania was able to get their delegates together to, uh, to ratify. Uh, we were right behind them, but we were leading. Uh, there was no doubt we were leading. And uh, I'd like to see us lead again. I think Pennsylvania, Ohio is another state that's, uh, that's very close. North Carolina is another state that uh, we are probably not, we're not going to get done this year, but as we came very close last year to do it, passed one house, came within a whisper of the other. So I think after this election cycle, which I hope will be beneficial and solidifying more conservatives in the, in the legislature, uh, that we'll have an opportunity to, uh, uh, to get to 21, 22, and then really take off as we head out west, where I think there's fertile ground for us to, uh, to pick up a lot of states here this year and, and get Russ Feingold really nervous about, uh, about Convention of States. Uh, Senator Santorum, I have one last question before we let you go. You joined Convention of States Action as the senior advisor about a year ago. Would you be able to describe for us your first year in this movement? What it was like working with the grassroots, being on the road? And then also, you know, your supporters, uh, our supporters really love you and they, they want to see you. So can you just uh, say where they can find you when you're on the road? Well, I'll be on the road uh, on September 9th and 10th. Uh, which is, uh, uh, as we record this on uh, Friday and Saturday in, in Western Pennsylvania, I'll be in Meadville on Friday night and then in uh, Beaver County in Beaver, Pennsylvania uh, on uh, Saturday afternoon. And then uh, Saturday evening, I'll be outside of Cannonsburg in a little town called Houston, not the big town of Houston, the little town of Houston, spelled the same way. But, uh, and so I'll be there for, uh, for town hall meetings to uh, 
uh, talk with, uh, with people uh, in, in Western Pennsylvania and uh, in state legislators there. Uh, I'm very excited about that. And you know, we'll be planning more. I'm, I'm gonna be in Harrisburg the following week uh, talking about uh, talking with with members uh, on the 13th. So, as uh, as Rita just said, putting a big push on Pennsylvania. They're one of the few legislatures that are still in session that have sessions uh, in the fall of election years. And so we're we're not letting any stone unturned. We're going to be out there. We're going to be working really hard uh, to try to get this done. And and in the interim, you know, we'll we'll be uh, uh, working on campaigns and. I don't know whether I'll be traveling to do some campaign appearances, but I'm certainly anxious to do so. Uh, if any uh, any of our candidates who are listening to this uh, need some help and uh, you're in a tough race, and uh, we we I'd be more than happy to get out there and 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 do some campaigning to help because we we need to uh, to have a big run of states here uh, in the next uh, six eight months uh, to get this momentum going and and really put this on the national map. Really get you know. I, I keep telling all the legislators who are, you know, worried about what this vote's going to mean. I said, you wait, you wait six or eight months, you wait till next year or, or, the, or the following year when we're up in the high twenties and low thirties, uh, Russ Feingold will be one of the, one of the, one of many, many people who are going to be screaming and hollering about this will be a huge issue. It's going to be a national issue. This will be one of national debate. It'll have national consequence. And I always tell state legislators, most of whom don't want to be on the national scene, Pass it now before it becomes an issue that becomes a real controversial one, and you get caught in the crosshairs. Let let someone else take those uh, take those last uh, few states to get us to 34. And so I'm uh, I'll be out. I'll be traveling. I'm excited about it, and I'm excited about this organization. One of the things that I I really didn't know when I joined Convention of States a years ago year ago. I mean, I I saw the numbers that we have so many volunteers, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've been involved with grassroots organizations, ran for office and had my own grassroots organization. I don't know of a grassroots group that doesn't exaggerate, doesn't put at least one zero at the end of their number of volunteers uh, and, and exaggerated by a factor of 10 or more uh, of actually how many people they have working. One of the things I found about COS is there's no exaggeration. Uh, the, the, they have real committed volunteers. They have a real organization to support them. Uh, these are uh, these are true activists like I've never seen before, and uh, and they and they make a huge difference in uh, in efforts like mine in working with state legislators, knowing that they're out there uh, and doing it with patriotism and 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 composure and kindness and and love of country, not. Not like the left does, where they get violent or they get nasty, or they, you know, that that's that may win you friends on television and among the pundit class. It doesn't win you votes in the legislature. And and one of the things I found about the COS grassroots volunteers is they're well trained. They understand how to work with legislators. I always say legislators are people too, and they want to. They don't want to be yelled at, and they don't want to be threatened. They they want they want to they want the information. And they want to know that you really believe what you say you say you believe, and and they want to see the passion, uh, but they want to see the love of country too, and the respect for the institutions of the country. And so uh, I'm excited that COS is, is doing all those things, and I think it makes it a unique organization. Uh, I think if you even get beyond, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves beyond COS. Uh, 
if we're successful with COS, we're gonna to need to be successful in getting amendments ratified by the different states. And that means we gotta to get to 38 states to ratify any, any amendments that are proposed. So you've gotta have a, a really robust grassroots organization uh, to do that. And then the final thing I'd say about the organization is they're not myopic. They just don't focus on COS. That is their focal point, but it's not the only focus. And uh, they've got, I've seen involvement by our, by our organization in the grassroots on school board elections and on uh, helping uh, other types of grassroots issues that are being uh, debated in state legislatures, all in support of, of, of the ideals of limited government, local control, and uh, stopping the tyranny of the federal government and, and the woke culture that we're involved in. So it's a, if you're not involved in COS uh, or you haven't talked to your friends about it, if you are, uh, you're doing, you'd be doing them a favor uh, to get involved in this effort. Uh, the support that you get uh, from the national folks as a grassroots person is unparalleled and it will make you a better citizen. It'll make you a better volunteer for anything else you decide to do and any other aspect of your life. Uh, and you'll be doing something really great for the, for the country. Senator, thank you so much uh, for this outstanding interview. It's been an honor to have you. Can't wait to have you back on the program. Uh, good luck out on the, uh, out on, uh, talking to the grassroots and on the road. Thanks for bringing me back, you guys. I'm excited to share our trivia question and answer with you right now or just in a moment. But I sincerely hope you are blown away by the things that Rick Santorum had to say. What an amazing man. I have tremendous respect and admiration for this gentleman who has now dedicated his career to saving our nation using convention states just like you. All right, let's go back to our trivia question. And you probably know that 10 of these pocket guides, you can get them at shopconventionofstates.com. If you don't win them, they're our number one best-selling item in the store, shopconventionofstates.com. And you're definitely going to want to get some if you didn't win them, because I'm so, so dedicated to getting those things out. As a matter of fact, as an organization, we're dedicated to get over 1 million pocket guides out. We think that's what's needed, and that's our goal. And we already have hundreds of thousands of them out. So here's the question. There were actually six presidential candidates in 2016 who officially endorsed Convention of States. Of course, they also endorse fiscal restraints and limits on federal overreach. And the answer to that question of which presidential candidates actually endorse us Senator Rand Paul, Governor Bobby Jindal, Governor Mike Huckabee, Senator Marco Rubio, Governor Jeb Bush, and Ben Carson officially endorsed our Convention of States movement leading up to the 2016 cycle. But wait, there's more. Senator Rick Santorum, also a presidential candidate, as you guys probably know, joined that list a little over a year ago. Other presidential candidates who endorsed Article 5 convention include Governor Scott Walker, Governor John Kasich. And if you're curious about our endorsers, which I always am, you can go to conventionstates.com slash endorsements, conventionstates.com slash endorsements. We have a pretty cool bookmark that lists a whole bunch of names here 
that support us. Of course, Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Beck, Ben Carson, Alan West, DeSantis, Abbott, Jeb Bush, Rand Paul. It goes on and on. Rep Mark Meadows. He happened to be Trump staff. But you know what we have on the other side that are opponents of Convention of States? One of the reasons why I like to talk about who supports and endorses Convention of States because those are people just like Rick Santorum that I really respect. And I think they have their principles straight. And if all those people endorse this, people like Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, then who am I to come up with something? If I don't have a reason why I wouldn't support it, then that's reason alone. But look at who our opponents, Hillary Clinton, oh, Howard Dean, George Soros, La Raza, Move On, Planned Parenthood, Code Pink, Democracy 21, Greenpeace, Sierra Club, League of Women Voters, Center for Popular Democracy, Daily Cost, Progress Now, People for the American Way, Emily's List, Earth Justice. Those are the people that oppose Convention of States, along with, or that's part of that list is 230. 230 Soros-funded groups all have signed a letter opposing Convention of States. So who do you want to hang out with? That's really what this is all about. Anyway, enough of me. Back to you guys. Thanks for putting on a great show. Thanks, Mike. We do this show every week to reach, teach, and activate Americans with the constitutional empowerment gifted to we the people. If you're ready to take your place among the Americans who are doing whatever it takes to restore the Republic, sign up for one of the volunteer roles with COS. We look for team players who are eager to see America reach a new golden age of freedom and prosperity. We'll give you all the training you need and plug you into a community that engages in the only solution as big as the problem. If you'd like to learn more about being a volunteer activist, go to conventionofstates.com and click the Take Action tab to get started. Don't forget to follow us on Rumble, MeWe, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, True Social, wherever you're getting your social media buzz, make sure you're following us, like the content, and go ahead and share that content as well. You can listen to this program and other historical legacy content on our Convention of States podcast. Just search Convention of States wherever you podcast from. Text START to 545. A 54555 if you want to bypass big tech, if you want to get important COS updates and messages. Again, that's start to 54555. Please check out the battle cry with COS President Mark Meckler. It's on every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll see you next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of COS Live. But remember, if you're looking for the person who's going to restore the Republic, don't look to Washington, D.C. It's going to be you you're going to be the person that helps restore the Republic. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.